so good to have the families and parents with us this weekend. Thank you for all that you do to support your children, the students here, and it means so much that you are with us worshiping God together today. I want to talk briefly about servant followers. If we survey higher education, the corporate world, and even churches, there's one word that you can't miss these days, leadership. (laughs) There are classes on leadership, workshops on leadership, best-selling books on leadership, centers for leadership, institutes for leadership, certificates in leadership, degrees in leadership, and within the church specifically, there's so much focus on Christian leadership. But what about Christian followership? Does everyone want to be a leader and no one a follower? I realize that this is Duke and We want to be leaders. But all throughout the Gospel of Mark, as far as I can tell, Jesus calls followers, not leaders. When he calls the first disciples, he didn't say, lead me so you can make me fish for people. He says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. When he calls Levi the tax collector, he just says, follow me. And and Levi got up and followed him. When Peter's talking to Jesus, he, he says, we've left everything and followed you. And then when they're going up to Jerusalem, as Jesus is about to foretell his death and resurrection for a third time, they were amazed. And then we hear those who followed were afraid. Jesus never calls leaders but he clearly calls followers. Follow me. He didn't come to make leaders, but to create followers. That means as Christians, our goal isn't to lead. Our goal should be to follow Jesus. And by doing so, come to learn what it means to be a servant follower, not a servant leader. Do you remember that song? Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I must be in a singing mood this morning. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him all the way. But but I know this is against the grain because we want to be leaders. That seems to be the goal often. We want to show others what to do or how to be and demonstrate that we are the the model citizen, the model student, the model Christian, the, the model entrepreneur. But sometimes we lose our way and I would even say lose our mind because we think we can be a model for Jesus and tell him what to do and how to be, which means we don't want to follow. Instead, we want to be followed. And and sometimes what we want can be out of whack. Ten times the verb for want 
over and over again in two chapters, Mark chapters 8 to 10, we hear it. When Jesus tells his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Many years ago, the Reverend Howard Thurman asked a piercing question in one of his meditations. What do you want, really? James and John in our gospel lesson are apparently very clear with Jesus about what they want. Do you remember what they said? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. They won't tell him what it is at first. They just want a yes. Do what we want. Be our Santa Claus in October. We want to lead you even though you're the teacher. And Jesus responds, what is it that you want me to do for you? He's just told them that he's going to be condemned to death, mocked, spit on, flogged, killed, and then rise again. And guess what they tell him what they want. They want to be able to sit at his right hand and his left hand in his glory. Didn't they just hear what Jesus said? These insensitive disciples want power and privilege. They want status. They want to be in charge. Really, they want to be God. And we should be very careful in trying to be God. God was once approached by a scientist who said, listen, God, we've decided we don't need you anymore. These days, we can clone people, uh, transplant organs, do all sorts of things that used to be considered miraculous. God replied, hmm, don't need me, huh? Well, how about we put that theory to a test? Why don't we have a competition, God says, to see who can make a human being? The scientists agreed, and so God declared they should do it like he did back in the day when he created Adam. Fine, says the scientist as he bent down to scoop up a handful of dirt, and God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Not so fast. You get your own dirt. <laughs> James and John want God's glory. But they never created the soil of the earth. And this is why Jesus says to them, you do not know what you are asking. You don't know who you're talking to, which is basically what God tells Job when Job questions God in another lectionary text for this day. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God asked Job. You don't know what you're talking about or even what true greatness is. You do not know, you do not understand even what glory is because my glory is gory, my crown is a cross, my coronation is through a crucifixion. These disciples just don't know. They, they must be Tar Heel graduates, but I'm teasing. My daughter goes to Carolina now, so we're a divided house. But they don't know. But yet, incomprehension might be the top characteristic of any disciple's resume. We never fully understand. 
It's like when God asked the prophet Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responds, oh, Lord God, you know. Or if we hear from Paul in, in Romans that there are times that we do not know how to pray as we ought. So what Jesus tells them is so true. You do not know what you are asking. But the funny thing is, is that they still want to lead. Sometimes this is what happens in the church. The church wants to lead Jesus, but the church's first word should not be church, but Christ. So how about following Jesus and not following the church? Sometimes we are so focused on getting members to join a church that we forget the primary goal is that people join themselves to Christ and then become a member of his cruciform body. I say all of this as I stand here because I remember several years ago meeting in the chapel crypt with eight to ten CEOs down in the bottom. They were from all over the world. And there's nothing like a crypt to make you have meaningful conversations. None of these CEOs were turned off from Jesus. None. But a lot of them were turned off by the institutional church because of how they were treated in the past. So I would say today, Jesus is not the problem. Maybe we are. My advice to the disciples is maybe they should ask to want what Jesus wants. That would be a follower's prayer. Jesus, help me to want what you want. And Jesus wants, and what Jesus wants for his disciples, and what Jesus wants for us becomes clear. He gives them the answer without saying it's the answer. He, he reveals his desires for us. When he tells them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, this shouldn't be surprising because Jesus had already told them to deny themselves, take up their cross, lose their life. And when they argued about who's the greatest, he responds, whoever wants to be first must be the last of all and servant of all. And so he reiterates that following him is not about status, but service. That greatness is revealed through a life of servanthood, because that is the way of Jesus. We may think sometimes, as James and John did, that being great for God has to do with glory and wealth and power and prestige, so much so that we, we create Christian celebrities. When the glory of God revealed in Jesus is really all about service. He came not to be served, but to serve. A genuine disciple is a servant follower, one who pours out one's life for another on the way with Jesus. Why is it so hard for us to want to be the lowest, 
and so easy instead to grasp to be the greatest. I mean, we're at Duke to be great, not to be the least. That's why we pay the low tuition, right, parents? I mean, we're at Duke to live our best lives now, and and often we think we can do that by accumulation of accolades and build our resumes and climb up the ladder of success. But when you follow Jesus, it's really about dissemination, not accumulation. It's about letting go and risking even falling down the ladder, sometimes rising even professionally can be a danger spiritually. There was a man who had received a promotion of, to become vice president of a company. And apparently this promotion went to his head and so for weeks, He was bragging to anyone and everyone that he was now VP. And his bragging came to an abrupt halt when his wife confronted him because she was embarrassed by his behavior. And she said, listen, Johnny, it's not that big of a deal. (laughs) Our spouses do help us from time to time. These days, she says, everyone's a vice president. Why, they even have a vice president of peas down at the supermarket. Johnny was somewhat deflated, and and, and so he didn't believe his wife, and so he called this local supermarket to find out if this was true. And he, he says, can I speak to the vice president of peas, please? To which the reply came, of fresh or frozen? Greatness when you follow Jesus, it's not about getting, but giving. Not about ascending, but descending. It's about dying to the self. And through death, you find life, real life. We may ask God, oh yes, we might be asking God to help the Duke football team win because winning Is what you do at Duke. But is that what we really want? Or should we want to ask God to help us find someone's feet to wash? Jesus found someone to heal. That story comes right after the one you heard today. Right after he talks about serving, right after he talks about giving his life, he encounters the blind Bartimaeus by the roadside to show what real service is and what it means to give one's life. Jesus asks him the same question he asked James and John. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, let me see again. And Jesus tells him, go, your faith has made you well. And Bartimaeus regains his sight and And guess what? We are told that he followed him on the way. Jesus again creates followers and reveals his heart in this story and many others for the vulnerable. Shows us what it means to serve. Serving God means to be agents of healing. This blind man's faith had made him well, that is healed him or you can say saved or rescued him. The same word is used for all of those meanings. 
In the Bible, salvation is holistic. Thus, this blind man is saved, healed, rescued by Jesus when he receives his sight. This is who servant followers are called to be. Healers in our world, healers in our nation. When we follow the Jesus on the way, we will engage in a healing work because this is the way of Christ. As Christians, we should be balms, not bombs. Balms, not bombs. Because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve healing for the world. One commentator says the supreme service of Jesus Christ was the voluntary giving of his life as a ransom for many. And the notion of ransom comes from a world where one can buy freedom for prisoners of war or slaves or condemned criminals. So setting a person free in this way was called redemption. And the person doing the redeeming was known as a redeemer. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. Jesus gave his life for the world, for you to redeem us all, dying that we might live, serving us that we might be saved, that is healed, rescued, redeemed, even if all we want is glory, even if our wants are distorted like James and John. He looked beyond our faults and saw our need. He still paid the ransom by giving of his life. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made, him, that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. There it is again. Jesus is our wounded healer. He let go of his life in order to let God give us life. His selfless service set us free and heals us. You want glory? His glory is shown by the giving of himself. His greatness is revealed through his humble service. It's as if he had the words of a hymn on his lips, I give myself away so you can use me. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody how they're traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. We may look at all of the troubles in the world and say to God, don't you see what's happening? Why don't you do something about it? And I hear God say back to us, I did do something. I created you so that you can do something. May it be so, now and forever. Amen.